You are listening to the podcasts of Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So, so thankful that, that we can all worship together, even if, if we can't be here in body, but our spirits can be worshiping together today. So thank you for joining with us. Um, we're continuing to study uh, Jesus' words. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 18. We'll come to that later. But I'm going to start out with a few quotes today. Um, so, and as I read this, I want you to ask yourself, is this a truth that I need to hear today? And yeah, it is definitely weird to look down and watch, all, watch me and watch all of you watching me on my Facebook. So I'll just kind of keep that... That, that out of my mind for right now. But um, <clears throat> do you need to hear this truth today? Worrying. Okay. I have to change my slides too. All right. <laughs> Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strengths. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll find rest. Corey's words are what I needed to hear this week. Um, I know that it's probably the words many of you needed to hear. Today, as I start things off, I want to um, just address what we're going on, what's going on in our lives. We're all dealing with this COVID-19 crisis in different ways. This past week, I've been calling a lot of people in our church, youth families and youth themselves, and, and talking to staff about the conversations they've had. And what struck us all is that even though um, we're not a huge body of people, we all are dealing with it in very different ways. Some of us, some of you out there, the biggest uh, inconvenience so far is that maybe you went grocery shopping and you couldn't find toilet paper. Or um, your biggest inconvenience is that your orders from Amazon are going to be shipping late because of all this. But there's other people out there who your world feels like it's completely out of control. You've lost your job. Somebody in your family is already sick. Or you're worried about a loved one who you know is highly at risk during this time. Maybe you're somebody who works in the healthcare industry and you're worried about the demands of your job and your own health and trying to balance all the stress of being on the front lines and dealing with this crisis. Maybe you've lost 30% of your nest egg and you're not sure what the future will hold because of the stock market. Whatever we're facing today, I want you to know that we face it together. I believe that the Bible is clear that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are part of his body. We are one, united together while we abide in God. We are filled with his spirit that gives us the strength to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that he's placed on our lives. So I hope today you're encouraged um, by those words and you're encouraged by the truth of the gospel and and by the testimony of Corey Tenboom. As I mentioned briefly earlier, our passage today is Matthew 18. So if you want, you can start turning there in your Bibles or on your apps, however it's going to be most convenient for you. We believe here at Cedar Hills that even in the midst of a crisis, that God's word, all of God's word speaks truth into our lives that's valuable, um, that, that his spirit 
um, pierces bone and marrow and gives us truth. So uh, this is something that w- was kind of set out even before this all came down. But, but we're going to find hope in the words of Christ today. As I prepared for today's message, I read chapter 18 of Matthew a number of times, and two things really stuck out to me that never stuck out to me before. This phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is repeated multiple times. In, in, in verses, I went back and highlighted it in my Bible, um, in verses 1, 4, and 23. So in the beginning of the chapter, and as he introduces the last parable in this chapter, Jesus refers to, or his disciples refer to, the kingdom of heaven. It's this kingdom that Jesus has come with his life and death and resurrection to inaugurate this new messianic kingdom, this, this, um, this new relationship that God has with people that we can enter into his family, be united with Christ through his sacrifice. Um, and that's what Jesus talks about a lot in his ministry, this kingdom of heaven and how it, it interacts with our world and how can we can be a part of that kingdom. Another thing that stuck out to me was the phrase little ones. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus' disciples argue about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus invites a child over and holds the child. And then continually references back in verses 3, 4, 6, 10, and 14 to little ones. Little ones like these. And in doing so, he's often saying that in the kingdom of heaven, we are to have a different mindset towards those people. We should be humble like little children even that, that don't have, have rights and, and are submissive to, those, to the authority of the Father. Um, and these little ones, if they're oppressed, if, if you're leading them into sin, that's a bad thing that shouldn't be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. Um, so I would say one summary I have for you is that, um, there, is that our calling as disciples is to reckon the kingdom into our lives, our communities, by living this way through the Spirit of God in us. I think that's just a greater theme of the Gospels and it's specific also as well to Matthew 18, that, that Jesus is talking about this new kingdom, this new way of living, and that we can enter into it when we, and when we invite the power of God to work through our lives and accomplish great things as, as his disciples. So I've got a, 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 a bullet point uh, that's got um, a couple of main things. I'm just going to quickly reference these. We don't have time to go through all of these. But I think in Matthew 18, there's five sections, and they all talk about the kingdom of heaven. So in the first section, the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, social rank is radically flipped. And that has to do with the humble ourselves, to be like a child. Instead of trying to be the greatest, try to be humble like a child. And that's what Jesus is saying it's like in the kingdom of heaven. Two, uh, we, are, we take radical precautions to avoid little ones stumbling. Three, in the kingdom of heaven, we support the little ones instead of exploit them. It's one way the kingdom of heaven needs to be different from the kingdom of the earth. I see I need to move on to four and five. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, four and five. The king, in the kingdom of heaven, we restore those who go astray. Jesus tells a parable of a lost sheep and how it's restored to the flock. And then talks about how if your brother sins against you, you need to go to them and confront them and talk about the issues that you have and seek reconciliation and forgiveness between the two of you. And if not, invite more people into that and continue to seek that reconciliation instead of being separated. And five, there's this large parable about an unforgiving servant where Jesus is teaching that in the kingdom of heaven, we radically forgive. 
uh, our staff and leadership has been developing four key principles that we think are important to describe Christian community here at Cedar Hills. And I want to share those with you because two of them are here in today's passage. I call them HAFR, H-A-F-R, hospitality, authenticity, forgiveness, and restoration. And restoration happens through this reconciliation that God offers us through Christ Jesus and that we offer to other people. Um, so I just want to make sure you, you kind, of, kind of take those love, belong, serve. That's going to be our overarching theme. But under those specific to Christian community, we want to be a Christian community that embodies hospitality, authenticity, forgiveness, and restoration. So now that I've set the table, I think, for our key passages, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 35. Matthew 18, 15 through 35. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there and follow along with me. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen, take two others along with you. For that matter may be established and the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two, or, if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. Verse 21. Then Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children be sold to pay, to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled his debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, Pay, me ba- pay back what you owe me, he demanded. But he refused. Uh, sorry. <laughs> His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, I will repay you. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and told the master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Challenging words from Jesus, isn't it? This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother, from your heart. 
Let's take a moment to dig into this, this parable that's going to be our key passage. Um, I first want to ask you the question, I think it's always important, why does Jesus tell these parables? Why does Jesus tell this long story about a master and his servants? Because Peter asks a question. Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? This parable is a response to that question. And why did, Je- why did Peter even ask, how many times should I forgive my brother? Because Jesus was just teaching about a way of reconciliation where you approach your brothers and seek reconciliation through forgiveness no matter what they've done. And Peter says, this is too big for me. How many times do I have to do this, God? How many times do I have to do this, Jesus? And Jesus tells a story in response to that question. How much forgiveness does God require? Not seven times, not even 77 times. He's saying that in the kingdom of heaven, it should be a place where undeserved forgiveness is offered to others, offered to everyone, because we have been forgiven a debt that we could not pay. The first servant, his debt was remarkable. It was so big that a person of his social class could not repay that debt through work. That is like our sin debt, the Bible teaches. No amount of work could ever earn a paid-in-full status with God. But like the master in this parable, God offers forgiveness at his own cost. He sends Jesus, his son, as a sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. So this all begs the question, do we take Jesus at his words? Do we really believe that we should forgive everyone, no matter the offense? Do we really believe we should love our enemies? Jesus tells that hard truth in another passage that goes along with forgiving. These are hard words. It's easy for me to forgive my daughter when she breaks something at home. It's easy for me to forgive if she hits me because she's learning how to control her emotions. But it's not so easy when you sit beside somebody that you care about, somebody who you shepherd who's been sexually assaulted. And there's a deep anger inside of you, a righteous wrath that wants to say, Justice, Lord! By forgiving, we're not setting aside the justice part. We're putting it back in God's hands where it belongs, but we're saying my job is to extend grace and forgiveness because that's what's been offered to me. So how about you? What situations are there in your life where you struggle to offer forgiveness? I want to explore these questions a little bit more because James teaches that if we look into the Word, it's like looking into a mirror. And if we look into the Word and we see ourselves through the truth of the gospel and we, and we, we aren't changed, it's like looking at the mirror in the morning and see you've got something on your face and you don't do anything about it. So I've got a story that I want to share that I think really encapsulates this truth and helps dig it deep down in my heart. My heart can sing for joy when I hear the truth of this story. Uh, it's from Corey Tenbu's life. That why I, that's why I started with her uh, to begin with. If you don't know the story of Corey Tenboom, uh, her and her family housed Jews in their house during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And eventually they were discovered and they were put in prison and in concentration camps. And her closest members of her family, her father and her sister, both passed away in prison and concentration camps. And she experienced unspeakable horrors. 
But in the midst of this life of tragedy, Corey never lost faith. God sustained her. And I would say even the kingdom of heaven entered into the reality of her life because of the, the way God's faith was expressed through her. And after she was released, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. If you haven't read it, I'd love for you to go, go look it up. If you've got uh, an app through your library, you can download it today and check it out. Listen to the audiobook. It's an amazing story. Then she traveled the world teaching the truth of the gospel, how hope expressed through radical forgiveness and reconciliation is for everyone. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. It's another quote from Corey. I'm going to tell a quick story about her life from the hiding place. It was at the church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heap of clothes, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came to me as as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. I think that, as you say... He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people of Blumendahl of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And I took his hand And the incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, through my arm and my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And and into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. So I want to come back to the question as we start wrapping up our time together. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do I need to forgive? How can forgiveness break down the barriers of resentment and bitterness that have been built up in your heart and in my heart and in our community here at Cedar Hills? And I also want to say something about our current climate with this COVID-19 news. I see a lot of blame going on. I see people blaming the government. I see people blaming the Chinese for covering it up. I see people blaming the people who went on spring break anyway and are coming back and infecting our community. Stop. 
I think you cannot read this passage and come away without at least a simple knowledge that Jesus is calling us not to be a people of blamers. We are not a kingdom of blamers, brother and sister, brothers and sisters. We are a kingdom that should be defined by radical forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. If you've got a problem with your brother and sister, go talk to them. Don't grandstand on social media and post things that are hateful towards other people. Look, instead of looking to blame someone, start looking for opportunities to help the little ones around us. And in that, the kingdom of heaven will be expressed here on earth as we invite the power of God expressed through his Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us hope, giving us love, giving us even, even the very forgiveness for those people around us. I've got one last scripture I really want to share with you. I think it's, it's an amazing testimony. It ties this all together. It's uh, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal, he was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is saying, brothers and sisters, that as a part of his kingdom, we are his ambassadors to the world. When we have faith and we abide in the vine and we trust in the spirit at work in our lives and we invite him to give us that love and forgiveness, we are indeed shining that light and love and hope to a world that needs it. This is the hope that our neighbors need. This is the hope that our coworkers need. This is the hope that I need and you need in times like this. Reconciliation we see in this passage is vertical, It's being reconciled to God through Christ Jesus, but it's also horizontal. We offer that reconciliation and forgiveness to other people, just like the cross, vertical and horizontal. Let's go ahead and end our time with a little prayer. Let's bow your heads with me, please. Father God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the fact that you invite us to be a part of your kingdom here on earth. You invite us to be part of your family. You say there's a spirit of adoption, not of timidity, not of fear that comes with having faith in you. Father, I'm going to take a a moment just now and pause and let people confess their unforgiveness to you. And I urge you, God, with the power of your spirit to place names on people's hearts maybe the images of people's faces in our minds whom we need to forgive. Father, help us to be bold enough to forgive those people, not of our own strength, but if we need, invite you to give us the very strength to forgive, the very love to reach out to those people, to send them a text, send a note, send a card, and let them know that they are forgiven. Not because we're good, but because you our great, loving, forgiving God. Father, I pray that we would take this call seriously, that we, the people of Cedar Hills Church, we, the people, God's people in Cedar Rapids, we, God's people across the world, 
would go as ambassadors, sharing Christ, sharing this radical forgiveness and reconciliation with others. May we be a church that embodies these truths because we abide in God. May hospitality, authenticity, forgiveness, and reconciliation guide our community and our relationships. Amen. We pray you are blessed by today's message from Cedar Hills Community Church. For more information about our church or how to support our ministry, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.